You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, today's a really important day, right? It's more than uh, this this coming day, I guess Monday, is more than just a three-day weekend. It's more than just a vacation. Uh, it's really a crucial day for observing the sacrifice that it took for the freedoms that we've received. And I know there's lots of opinions about this country uh, floating around, but I unashamedly want to say I am so honored and blessed by those men and women who have given their lives so that we could come to this place today freely to worship the Lord. That is not something to take lightly as you look around the world. That is not something that every country enjoys, and that's real sacrifice. And Scripture tells us that greater love has none than this, that a man would lay down his life for another. And that, man, that's a blessing. And so as a church, we're so thankful for that. Would you do this with me? I know you just sat, but would you stand with me today? And uh, I just want to enter a moment of prayer thanking the Lord this morning. Thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, for those who paid the sacrifice for us. God, that never even saw us or knew us, that never saw Banner Church or saw this gathering, and yet because of their sacrifice, we are able to gather freely here and worship you. God, I pray that that sacrifice would not be in vain. God, that unlike our brothers and sisters around the world who are not able to freely share the gospel and hope of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would honor the sacrifice of those men and women by freely and vibrantly sharing the gospel of Jesus. May we never forget what it cost so that we might have freedom, so that we might gather and worship. We honor them, we honor you, and we thank you, God, in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, Memorial Day is such an interesting weekend, right? Uh, it's, it's interesting because Memorial Day is, is a little different than where I grew up. I mean, people still went out of town, but where I'm from, school is still going on during this time. But Memorial Day in Arizona is interesting because school's out, and then it's like the first weekend, literally after school is out, is Memorial Day. And so I'm in this group with a lot of Arizona pastors, and they're like, what are you doing for Memorial Day? What are you going to do? Like, how's it going to look? Are you going to do one service? You know, only like a third of your church is going to be there. Like, what, what are you doing strategically? And I was like, I don't know, church. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like this morning, uh, regardless of uh, if you're here in person or you're online, I really believe that God has a word for you. So it's not a mistake that you're here. The right You are here for a reason so God can speak into your life and encourage you. And I'm always just a big believer that the word of God preached is transformative by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we keep preaching that. But we're going to actually kind of begin something or, or reawaken something today that used to be a major part of our church that we kind of went away from because of COVID, and that is the altar. You know, as a church, we really founded ourselves on the belief that as we step out in faith, God honors that step of faith, and he heals, and he restores, and he renews. And so we live in this space, I think, in the modern church of being afraid to make noise or get out of our seat or being called out. And yet the amazing thing is this gathering is for you and Jesus. That's why you're here, is for you and Jesus. And so we call this space the the altar. And altars look different. Sometimes they'll have like little stools at the front you can kneel. Ours looks like this. Um, (laughs) But the altar is an important space. I don't even know this is a transformative space. Because when you step out physically in obedience, what you're saying is, God, I give you my whole heart. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I'm not putting on a mask. Uh, Not like for health reasons. I mean like to hide behind. Dang it. We can't use that phraseology anymore because people are going to think I'm making a political stance. Dang it. That's not what I mean. Uh, I mean pretending to be somebody else. Full face guard. There we go. We're going to have to change it. (laughs) No, that's, uh, but what it says is I'm stepping out and I'm believing. So when we end every service, here's how every every service is going to end, and I'm going to prep you for it right now. Every service is going to end with our prayer team available. When I close in prayer, I'm going to give a chance to respond and just to bring back the old school altar response of, man, if you are believing for God to do something in your life, whether it's attached to the sermon or not, I'm going to invite you uh, to just 
begin to build into your life the ability and the heart desire to step out in faith and have someone pray with you. We have some of the best prayer people at this church who deeply love the Lord and are praying for you constantly. The other part of it is that if you need God to do a miracle, especially in response to the message, we don't want you to leave hoping for the miracle. We want you to leave walking in the miracle, and we're willing to step in that space with you, right? We're not here for information. We're here for transformation, and so we're going to bring that back and walk in that space, and trust me, I want to tell you that God heals, and God restores, and he's going to heal, restore. You might be stepping in that gap for your family, or maybe someone who's not even here. You're like, this isn't even for me, but I'm going to step into that space for someone else. I love that Christ heals even at a distance. I love that. So I'm just kind of like prepping. I'm going to prep every week for that space, and I'm just going to open it up. And again, it's not about numerical response. It's about I always want you to have a space to be prayed for and to do the real good nitty-gritty church stuff. Not just sit and respond, but to really have that space. Now, if you don't respond, that doesn't make you less spiritual. And not everyone should respond. I'm just saying, shouldn't we always have a, a place for the response of God upon our lives? Amen. So, you know, there you go. Well. We are three weeks into our series called Money, God's Way, talking about money, uh, talking about what does God want us to do with money, and what does he teach about money, and uh, I, I feel like it's been, it's been enjoyable for me at least to teach, and the conversations I've been having with people have been really good, so uh, I want to say thank you for having a soft heart uh, to sometimes what can be taken with a hard heart. But as I've noticed, as people have been soft-hearted and open to the biblical principles that come from the Lord, that he's already begun to do a work in their lives. So if you're not a part of that, if you're kind of new to this space, I encourage you, just have an open heart to what God wants to say from his word. And as you do that, he moves and he ministers. I keep saying this is not a guilt series. It's not a force series. This is a heart series. This is God saying money is one of the things that shows our heart. So we're talking today about breaking the spirit of mammon. Uh, when when I, we had our, our daughter Lucy, it was a pretty amazing experience. You know, she's going to turn seven in November, and so it's crazy. Think she's been around for six and a half years. When we moved here, I was thinking about this the other day, she had her second birthday, and the church had like 20 people in it, and there were no children. It was just Lucy. So her whole birthday party was all these young adults that were like living near or with us, and it was just Lucy and a bunch of 20-year-olds, and she loved it. Um, and But uh, now, obviously, her the birthday parties look a little different around here, because there's a bunch of kids, and we got to figure out, like, where are we going to go with all these children? Um, but I remember being in the hospital, and, um, you know, obviously, like, I'm, I'm participating in the experience, but I'm not, like, you know, not really that helpful, right? But then you get to hold the baby as the father, right? After, like, the mom has done all this work. She's like, I'm going to go to sleep. Don't talk to me, right? Uh, you get to hold the baby, and I remember holding the baby thinking, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so unprepared for what to do with this thing. Right? This is like the most precious thing I've ever held. And all I can think is like, am I going to be that dad that drops their kid? Right? I'm like terrified. I'm stressed. Why? Because like this is the most precious thing that I've ever received. And I want to care for it well. Right? I want to care for her well. I'm just like holding her. She's like a little loaf of bread. And, you know, she's sleeping. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I'm like, I just want to care for her well. I want to do the best I can. It was a similar thing when we got our son, except he was more like a giant loaf of bread. Um, <laughs> we met uh, Henry. We've been going through the, the process of adoption, and it was like a two-year journey, and we were praying and, and asking God, and we kind of felt like, okay, God, like, did, did we hear you wrong? Like, did we kind of go down the wrong road here? Do we, need to, do we need to backtrack and then, like, try a different road? Have you ever been on that journey? Like, it's been a while, so you're like, maybe I just heard God wrong. Um, but... Uh, in this moment, we get this call, and they say, hey, uh, there's this little boy available. He's a year and a half, and uh, you should put your file in for this kid. And so we did. We put our file in with the other parents who put their file, and then they chose us. So we got the call. Hey, they've chosen you. You can come down. You can meet the family. You can get a little picture of him. It was adorable. Uh, you know, again, big loaf of bread. And, uh, <laughs> and 
uh, we got to meet him, and then they said, hey, now you're going to begin the unification process, so you're going to begin to get to know him. You're going to meet him a couple times. He's going to come over and spend the night, and then after a while, like, as you guys feel comfortable, he feels comfortable, he's going to come into your home, and so, you know, just be ready for that journey. It's going to take a while, maybe a couple months. We're like, okay, that's awesome, and so we get our house ready, like, even readier because you have to get ready to get certified. We, uh, you know, just like with a baby, you're like prepping everything, making sure it's all clean. And so we meet him, and then he comes over the next couple days later, and he spends the night, and uh, his foster mom picks him up. We're like, wow, this is awesome. And then the very next day, they're like, hey, do you want him to just come into your home and be full-time? And we're like, sure. Like, we have no idea, right, how this works. Like, yeah, I thought it was a couple months, but like, we're excited, so let's just do it. Like, come on in. And so he came into our house, and the very next day was that day that the NBA shut down, and everyone thought, hmm, <laughs> something actually might be happening, right? Like, that was a day when like a professional sports team was like, we're not going to make any more money. You're like, whoa, okay, hold up. And so that day was kind of when everyone went into, like, deep lockdown. And uh, we had this kid that we've never met, uh, or we met twice, who was now permanently living with us. Like, to the point of, like, we were just locked down with this kid. It was, like, two or three months later, uh, we called the caseworker, and we're like, hey, like, we have this kid. Like, what should we do with him? They're like, oh, you have him? Oh, good, good, good. And we're like, great. This is... This, I mean, that's, that's the system. Uh, but I remember, like, having this kid year and a half, right? I'm back in diapers. Now we have a boy. My wife's like, what do we do with these things? He's always, you know, doing this, and right? Uh, and I remember being like, what do I do with this thing? Because once again, I'm in this space of, like, I've been given something so precious, except this time it can run, uh, given something so precious. How do I steward this so well? right? How do I steward this? How, what, what do I do with the most precious thing? And I, I really felt like God was just saying, man, in everything, honor me by lover, loving and stewarding his life well, right? With, with my kids, it's like, honor, honor God by loving and stewarding this life well. Did you know that you and I have received something so precious, we have received something so beautiful and so precious, the most precious thing we've ever received, and that's the love of Christ. That we have received, because of Christ, a beautiful and loving, eternal relationship of hope and freedom. It's like the most precious thing that we could have ever received. We couldn't buy it. We couldn't earn it. But God gave it, and it cost something precious to give it to us. You know, today we recognize the, the lives that were laid down so that we could have freedom here to worship. But did you know that it also took Christ laying down his life so that we could be free for all eternity? We've received something so precious. We received a hope and a love, the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so all of these principles of tithing and giving and generosity, these are to help us steward this precious thing that we've been given. To really steward this precious, beautiful thing. Well, this is not to force a course. This isn't to make us feel guilty. This is like, wow, I've received something so precious. How do I take care of this? And God says, let me give you some spiritual principles. And this is one of those spiritual principles. We talk all the time about spiritual disciplines and spiritual principles, but this is one of those principles. So today we're going to look at Luke chapter 16. If you brought your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 16. And if not, the words are going to be on the screen for us, and we'll read through together. I'm going to be in—I'm going to share it in ESV, and then I'm going to share it also in the New King James Version that is a little more literal, uh, and I'll explain—I'll explain why in a second. But let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll jump in this morning. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is life-bringing and transforming. And Holy Spirit, as we read the word of God this morning, would you move upon our lives? Would you transform us? Would you renew us? Would you speak to us? Would you break the chains? God, we thank you that this is not a place for shame. This is a place for restoration. And so God, if any moment any of us this morning feels ashamed, I, we reject that lie of the enemy, and we pray for renewal and love and restoration in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Today we're going to talk about breaking the spirit of mammon. 
And you know, mammon is not a word I had researched until someone shared it with me, but mammon is a really interesting word. It's used four times in Scripture, and all of them are by Jesus, and all of them are in the New Testament. It's not an ancient Hebrew word, though modern Hebrew added the word mammon uh, to, to combine this meaning, because I don't know if you knew this, but people still speak Hebrew. <laughs> um, but uh, it, the ESV translates this word that you'll see in a second to wealth. It translates it to wealth. So you're, some translations might say mammon, some might say money, and some say wealth. And you're like, wait a second, there's inaccuracies in the Bible? No. But when we're translating, sometimes you translate something very literally, and sometimes you translate thought for thought. So the example that I gave in our leadership luncheon is uh, translating from English to Spanish, which is way easier than Aramaic to English, by the way, or Hebrew to English, but English to Spanish. And I, I, I think, have you were actually there, and I think maybe I asked you, right? Did I ask you? How do you say, I'm, I am hungry in Spanish? Tengo hambre. Tengo hambre. So right away, I couldn't translate that literally word for word, because that was two words, and I said three. Right? Because languages are different. Now, all of what those three words exist in those. But it, if I take the word tengo, which, you know, when I was learning Spanish, I was like, wait a second, I have hunger? That would be the literal translation. But the thought-for-thought thought translation would be, I am hungry. Do we see the difference? That's just English to uh, Spanish to English. Now imagine, like, Hebrew to English. Like, no vowels just thousands of years old, right? We're trying to get cultural context. It takes a lot of work. There's huge committees that translate the Bible, but in different translations, you might get a more literal translation, or you might get a more thought-for-thought -thought translation. Now, if I say, I have hunger, if I say, have hunger, or I say, I am hungry, are either of those wrong? Uh, debatable, right? <laughs> the right one seems like, I'm hungry. <laughs> so when we're reading it today, the translated word is wealth, but the literal word is mammon, capital M. Everyone still with me? Okay. I think that's important because I've heard a little bit the rumblings of like, wait, there's different versions of the Bible? No, there's different translations of the Bible. If you're getting a different version, you should run. <laughs> there are different versions of the Bible, but they worship at different looking buildings in this, right? There are, but be careful. But different translations. So, we're going to read together. Luke 16, 9. It says, this is Jesus talking, by the way. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, when, when it says wealth, I'll tell you when that word is mammon, capital M, like a proper name. It says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. That word is mammon, by unrighteous mammon. So that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. I'll explain all of this. The one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon or wealth, who will entrust you the, to you the true riches? If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word again there is mammon, capital M. So God, capital G, mammon, capital N, M. So some parts of the scripture, you see it's the word for wealth, and some parts it's the word for money. So what is it? saying you cannot serve both God and mammon. See, mammon is not just money. It's not just dollar bills, right? It is way, way, way more than just money or just wealth. Jesus is making a very clear point here because he's not pulling a word that is from Hebrew origins. He's pulling a word that has Syriac origins, that's from Syria, Babylon. He's pulling this like rooted Babylonian term, mammon to make a very clear point. And now, there's some scholars who say Mammon was a Syrian god, the god of riches. 
you know, anytime you study antiquity, it gets a little messy, but I'm, I'm not sure about that. What we can know is that the Babylonian term for the idol of wealth, the idol of wealth in a culture, a pagan culture of worshiping idols, the idol of wealth, the word for that is mammon, capital M, proper name, mammon. So mammon is the idol of wealth in Syrian Babylonian culture. Um, if you're not familiar with, with Babylon, Babylon is one of the ancient civilizations. It was incredibly wealthy. It was uh, incredibly uh, full of debauchery and evil and all kinds of terrible things you could imagine, but also a lot of money and a lot of really smart people and some really nice gardens. Uh, <laughs> but with that, a lot, of, a lot of heinous practices existed in Babylon. And Babylon, and you might get the word association, was founded by a guy named Nimrod, which is a great name, uh, at a thing called the Tower of Babel. Okay, and the premise of the Tower of Babel, since I don't have a whole time to go on this, the premise of the Tower of Babel is a whole bunch of people that said, you know what we have? We got money. You know what we have? We have brains and strength, and we got a lot of us. You know what we should do? We should build a tower to God, and we should become like God. We don't need God if we have enough money. That's the spirit of mammon. If I have enough money, I don't need God because I am God. That's the spirit of mammon. I don't need God if I have wealth, so I worship wealth. And, and it's really a direct contrast to God. And that's why in Luke 16, 13, it says, no servant can serve two masters. Here's what it says in the New King James. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Not money, mammon. Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon. This is important. Mammon is looking for servants. Mammon wants to rule over you so that you don't look to God, you look to wealth. And again, I, I'm not saying this to feel condemned, that you would feel condemned. In fact, I think many of us grew up looking to mammon and serving mammon without actually knowing we were doing it. Maybe we, ne we never knew it. Maybe we grew up in a place where financial insecurity was the name of the game in our home, and so we vowed never to allow that to happen again. And in so doing, we found ourselves worshiping at the altar of wealth and riches, not realizing who we were really worshiping. And this is why, again, if, you're feel if you feel feelings of shame, that's not what Christ has come to do. Christ has come to restore and renew by his love. But we need to recognize that there is a reality. We will be loyal to one and not to the other. This is why I don't preach a prosperity doctrine. See, prosperity doctrine says give and you'll get, right? Give money and you'll get rich. The more you give, the more money that you'll get. The hard part is this idea of like God wants to bless everyone with a ton of money is difficult to find in Scripture, and there's a problem. It sows selfishness into your life rather than freeing your life from selfishness. The principles of God are meant to free our life from selfishness, not sow more selfishness into our life. And th that would be a mammon message, right? It, and the hard part is that prosperity mindset, give and you get, it, that prosperity mindset runs into some issues when something in our life breaks. It's like, wait a second, I was giving, I thought there would be no more problems in my life. It's like, oh, well, I have tattooed on me currently, in this world you will have trouble. John 16, 33. But the hard part is, is that if we follow mammon thinking that it's God, thinking that money is God, well, if I give enough money, then I'll get enough money, and that will solve the problems in my life. What we're actually doing is following mammon, thinking that we're following God. And so when things fall apart, even though we've been following mammon, we despise God and we blame God. God, how could you let me face difficulty in life? I give. And what happens is we begin to despise God because we're really being loyal to mammon. And this is the lie of mammon, like all false idols or ideas or things we give ourselves to, whether it be lust or greed or, in this case, mammon. is that it promises everything God promises because it wants to take God's place. See, here's what mammon promises. It promises through wealth. It promises identity. 
It promises security. It promises happiness. It promises joy. And yet the trick is it can't deliver on any of those things. Joy, peace, love. Only God can deliver those true things. It can deliver a shadow of those things to you, but it cannot deliver the substance of those things. Those only come from God, and yet mammon is a liar. Wealth, the spirit on wealth is a liar because it tries to tell you that this is what will give you satisfaction. And what it is, is it's actually a spirit of the Antichrist. You're like, wait, what? This is one of those churches? No, hold on. Let me explain. Okay. The spirit of the Antichrist, there's like a big A, the Antichrist, and there's the spirit of the Antichrist. Have you ever heard this term? Right? When, when I went to the University of Washington for my undergrad, there was always these people that had these big posters, and depending on who was president at the time, that person would have like a little Hitler mustache, and it would say Antichrist under it. So for a while when I went there, George Bush had the little mustache, and it said Antichrist. And then when Obama was president, it had the little mustache, and it said Antichrist. And it was just like whoever is in power was the Antichrist. Now, uh, <laughs> that is like the ludicrous twisting of this term, which ironically kind of like undercuts what is expressed in scripture all time that there are spiritual figures opposed to God that's the spirit of the antichrist meaning to be anti stay with me Christ <laughs> right to be anti the principles of Christ so there are times where my spirit and heart has been anti to Christ right but there is a very clear spirit that runs anti Christ and that spirit can look a lot of different ways. It can look very nice, and it can wear a really nice suit. It doesn't really matter, but it's the spirit and spiritual figures opposed to God. And so this is mentioned all throughout Scripture. But mammon is a spirit of the Antichrist. It's saying, don't serve Christ. Don't serve God. I will fulfill everything you need. I will make you secure. I will make you happy. Money will really secure your identity. Money will make your life possible. Wealth and riches, that's where you're going to find satisfaction. That's a spirit anti to Christ. There is also a big A antichrist, the antichrist. If you read Revelation, you're like, maybe you're a new Christian, you're like, I read the last book in the Bible. What was that? Right? <laughs> right? In the, in the end, in Revelation, we're told that there will be the antichrist who will come and will, who will try to rule. And you might have seen, if you follow some people on Facebook, you might have people, seen people lately be like, this is the mark of the beast, and this is the mark of the beast, and this is the mark of the beast, and this is the mark of the beast. And if you buy a Tesla, that's a mark of the beast. I don't know. Who knows, right? <laughs> who knows? Uh, but you've seen a lot of that. And, and so we think like, oh, you know, threat of nuclear war, that's the mark of the beast uh, because the spirit of the Antichrist, you see all this stuff going around. But what's interesting about the spirit of the Antichrist, when we read at the end of the end of the age, you know how uh, he gains power? It's not by uh, military power or uh, what this weird twisted word we call fascism now. Uh, it's not by any of this. It's actually under the threat of not being able to buy and sell without a mark. That... That's how the Antichrist comes to power. He looks at us and he says, listen, if you don't bow to me, if you don't take the mark, this is why you might have seen like your really hyper-spiritual aunt post about the mark of the beast. If you don't take the mark, you won't be able to provide for your family. You won't be able to be in industry. That's a lot scarier, right? I don't know why that's more scarier than nuclear weapon, but someone telling me, someone with the Antichrist spirit saying, listen, you won't be able to travel, interact, you won't be able to buy or sell without this mark, that is, that is kind of scary. And that is how this spirit of mammon rules. Why? Because mammon, just like all false idols and all false things people give their life, the goal in your life, in life, is to get you to bow and serve that, that which is anti-God. Did you know that's the enemy's goal? The enemy isn't just sitting around with like little like ways to make you sin. The goal of the enemy is to seek to kill, to destroy you and your life, to give you things that are counter to God. Say, listen, this is how you get security. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. God is the only way that you get security. God provides security, identity, happiness, and peace. But Mammon says, oh, I can do that. It lies. You're like, really? Mammon lies? Yeah. Now tell me if you recognize this lie. If you had more money, you could blank. Anyone ever heard this lie before? 
If you had more money, you'd have more significance. If you had more money, you would be happier. Maybe. I know a lot of really depressed rich people. If you had more money, you'd have a better marriage. I can promise you that's not true. You fighting about money in your marriage will not go away because you have more money. You'll just have bigger fights. If you had more money, this is my favorite one. If you had more money, you could help more people. This is, <laughs> this is the one I get a lot. Uh, we have a lot of successful business people that come and say, Pastor, listen, like when I finally get this job, when I finally get this thing, then I'm going to give. Like I'm like there holding my breath or something. Like it has anything to do with me. Like, oh, okay, yeah, your obedience to the Lord is, I guess. I mean, it's important. But there's this mindset that we have that's like, okay, if— Think of all the people I could help if I just had more money. I'm like, this is about principle. This is not about, like, numerical achievement. Like, we don't have, like, a little thermometer we're filling in for, like, the glory of God here, right? This is about you in principle. This is about us walking in principle. But they say, think of all the people I could help if I had more money. I saw this guy on YouTube. He's just like this, I don't know, this the really professional dude in a suit, and he was just yelling constantly. And he, I don't know, he was some money guy. And he was like, all these people that say you don't need money, they're a bunch of blanking idiots. If they were blanking smart, they would blanking get some money so they could blanking help people. You know what orphanage costs? They cost blanking money. And it costs blanking money to feed the poor. And I would say in response to that, baloney. Money doesn't help people. God helps people. Show me one scripture where Jesus said the mission of the kingdom of God depended on him getting some more money. Show me. Show me one scripture. Could you imagine Jesus? Like we say these kind of things. Could you imagine Jesus being like, well, we can't go minister to the poor community. There's just no money in the inner city. Well, we can't go heal the lame. I don't have enough money. In fact, you know what he often said? We can't go where the money is because they won't listen. They've got too much money. And then when people with a lot of money came to him, he said, they said, I've done everything to follow you. And he said, you should give up your money. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. He's like, yes, because you worship mammon. Until you worship God, it doesn't matter how many small groups you host. It doesn't matter how many potlucks you go to. It doesn't matter how many love the blocks you do. Until you worship God, it is meaningless. Jesus never told anyone that the answer, that they needed more money. Not one time does Jesus look at somebody and say, blessings to you, brother. You need more money. Not one time did a lame person or a blind person or a hurting person cry out, and Jesus said, oh, amen. You know what? You need more money. If you could find me that scripture, I would love to read it, but you can't. You know why? Because it's my job to find these scriptures. <laughs> and I spent a lot of time making sure it wasn't there before I said this. <laughs> I have a software program that searches the, all of scripture to find this. Not one time. You just need more money. Blessings. Go in peace and find some money. Yet how many of us have had this thought? I need God to come through, or I need someone to give me some money. I need God to move in my life, or I need some money. If I made more money, I wouldn't really need God to move in my life. Someone gets me some money, then I'm all good, God. You can take the day off, because now I have money. And I can buy the things to make sure my family feels secure. It's like, well, not in heaven. Money is not the answer to the troubles of this world. God is. God is the answer. Now, he might use money to answer those problems. You're like, wait a second, what's the difference? Well, the difference is that when God moves financially, you can tell. When God moves supernaturally, you know. If you've ever had God do a, a supernatural financial miracle in your life, it looks different than, I just need some money. And then it's like, okay, well, uh, you know, Craig's offering me money. Denny's offering me money. Oh, and God has some money. Let's go with God's money. Maybe that's a good investment, right? It is just so obvious. You know what, God, I'm trusting in you. He provides. It's supernatural. See, we don't serve mammon. We don't turn mammon into God, and we definitely don't turn God into mammon. We say, God, it's about you. So the question is this mammon that we're talking about, and the question that often comes up then, is money evil? 
right? We, we, and especially in Western culture, we love to personify. We, like, add personified things to money. We're like, the money's cursed and it's evil, right? We have all these, like, films about, like, don't take that, that briefcase that everyone's touched it. You know, they've exploded, right, or something like this. And so we really personify, we personify things. But the question is, is money evil? Well, Jesus said in Luke 16, unrighteous mammon. What does that mean? Well, mammon uh, is a spirit. Let's start there. Mammon is a spirit. And let me explain what that means. You're like, mammon isn't a spirit. Okay, then how can it talk? Like, it talks. Okay, let me, let me give you a way you could try. You could try this. Try giving an uncomfortable offering that goes above and beyond your tithe and see if you don't hear voices. <laughs> right? It can talk. Right? Why are you doing this? The pastor only wants your money. Listen, if that's your thought, and you don't think that us and the board are going to steward your money well, then I would say you should be more afraid that we're not going to steward your soul well. Because it's one thing to lead you to bankruptcy. It's another thing to lead you to hell. So if you trust us with your soul, you should probably trust us to steward your finances. Just as a thought. But it speaks to us. It says, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You could buy a Tesla. Or pay your bills. One of the two. I recommend the bills. And it speaks, right? <laughs> but mammon is a, is a spirit, and it's a spirit that rests on money. See, all money has a spirit on it, gods or mammons. Did you know this? All money in your account, it has a spirit on it. It's, it's one or the other. It's not both. It's not like part of it. I have like a savings, a checking, and a mammon, right? This, <laughs> I got to move money from my mammon into the checking so that I can give it to the Lord, right? It has a spirit on it. It's God's spirit or it's mammon's spirit. So how do you get God's spirit on it? Well, just like I've been talking about for the past two weeks, you get God's spirit on it by giving the first 10% of the increase to him, to God's house. And so what's amazing is that then God redeems the rest, and it's out from under the spirit of this world, the spirit of mammon. See, money's not evil. It, money, it's neutral, but you can do good or evil with it depending on what spirit you put upon it. People say money is the root of all evil. It's not true. In 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Loving and serving mammon, serving money is the root of evil. Why? Because this is about the heart, not about the hands. This is about the wealth of our heart, not the wealth of our hands. This is about what we are giving. I said it last week. God is not trying to legalism you into loving him. He's saying, listen, the response of your love to me should be a response of the heart. I don't want your leftovers. I don't want your guilt. I want your heart. I want your heart because I love you. That's what he says in Luke 69. He says, And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, you may receive, uh, they may receive you into an everlasting home. That's a really interesting um, verse. Uh, when you fall, not fail. My, my apologies. When you fall. Oh, fail. No, it doesn't say fail. <laughs> the word there literally means like when you die. When you die. It's an interesting thought. It doesn't say use money to make friends so that if your investments don't come through, they can invest into you, and you get this cycle of investment. Not what it's saying. God is saying, take this unrighteous mammon, this thing that the enemy is constantly trying to convince you to use for selfishness, and use it for good. And what's amazing is that what Satan wants you to use for evil, you redeem by giving the first. That's before all of this. You redeem by giving the first, and then you use it to build the kingdom of God. And when you do that, people get saved. Listen, someday, someday, you will die. And you will go somewhere, but if you are a believer in Christ, you will stand before God, you will be in heaven, and you will be welcomed in by people that you have never seen. And they'll say, listen, we have never met, but a missionary came to my hometown and told me about Jesus Christ, and the reason they came here is because you sent them. I was in Bangkok, or I was in Nigeria, or I was in Egypt, or I was in college, and you sent somebody, and they came, and they told me about Jesus, and because of your obedience, I am here, and we celebrate. It's, heaven is a place of celebration. 
It's constant celebration. We celebrate you because you gave. We celebrate you because you went. We celebrate you because you were a martyr and you sacrificed. We celebrate, we celebrate, we celebrate God because he's great. This is what's amazing. Every time you choose to take that unrighteous mammon and redeem it through Christ, you are punching the enemy in the face. God takes your unrighteous mammon and he turns it into souls. When it says friends, it means brothers and sisters in Christ. There is people in heaven because people in this church have faithfully given. And you might not meet them. You may not know them. They might not be at the church long, maybe brief encounter. Maybe they're far, thousands of miles away. But that's kingdom work. I love this. When you give, this is why it's about the heart. It's not fulfilling an obligation. When you give, we receive the blessing of plundering hell to populate heaven. When we give, when you give, you plunder hell to populate heaven. And if you don't see giving that way, then it just feels like you're paying for a dinner or a meal. It's more than that. We're part of something greater than that. When you give, you're plundering hell to populate heaven. So the question is, what should I do with my money then? What should I do? And since this is a practical message for you to build a kingdom, let me tell you what you should do with your money. Just as I held my daughter and I had this thought, you should be a good steward of what you have. We're always so focused on stewarding what we might have or could have or will eventually have. What do you have right now? That's what you steward. That's what you're a good steward. Some of you might say, I don't even have enough of this unrighteous mammon to really be concerned with this message. Right? Like if I had some, I'd be taking notes. But since I don't have any of this unrighteous mammon, it's just kind of like right past me, right? But if I get some, well, let me just tell you, if that's your thinking, that you have too little to be concerned with Jesus taught, then hear me, you'll never have any more. Look at what it said in Luke 16, verse 10. It says, The one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. The one who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. It's a simple principle. God entrusts us with a little to see if we will be faithful with much. If we, weren't, if we aren't faithful in a little, why would he give us more? Uh, we, t- we teach this to our staff all the time when it comes to stewarding people. If we don't steward this well, why would God send more people? We have to steward what God has given us. Look what verse 12 says. If you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? In fact, man, you guys could come up today. That's an interesting thing. Last week, I, we talked about tithe, right? That's God's portion. That's set apart. The 10% is not something we give. We bring it. And if we don't bring it, we steal it. That's the two choices. When something belongs to someone else, you either bring it back to them or you steal it. If, if you have my car, you don't give me my car. You bring it back to me or you steal it. Those are the two options. It doesn't matter how many mental gymnastics you want to do because of the culture we were raised in. This is biblical principle. You bring it or you steal it. You bring the 10% if you bring me back my car with only three wheels, have you brought me back my car? No. You bring it or you steal it. That's how it works, according to Christ. So this is for those of you who follow Christ. If, if you're new here, you've ne- you never experienced the hope of Christ, you're new to this, this is, not for, this is not for you in this moment, but for those who are believers, this is the God you profess to follow. This is what he said. You bring it or you steal it. But look what he says. If you're not faithful with another man's, who will give you what is your own? Could it potentially be that the application of this is that if we're not faithful with the 10%, who's going to give you the 90? If you're not faithful with that which is not your own, which is God's, if you squander that, why would he give you more? Why would he bring increase? Why would he bring blessing into that space? Not that you can't get more money. I'm talking about money blessed by God. If you're not faithful that belong to the parts of the Lord, who will give you more? And it's so important. I I really believe God is testing us to see what we'll do with that 10%. It's a test, like I said in the first one. In verse 11, it says, If you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? That's interesting. Okay, we've been given this unrighteous wealth to steward, but then God says there are true riches. What are the true riches? That's the treasure of heaven. Look, look around this room real quick. I know there's less people because it's Memorial Day, but look around. Okay, 
None of this will survive. All of this will. People. That is the riches of the kingdom of heaven. It's God and people. You know what's in heaven? Is your money in heaven? No. Is your cabin in heaven? No. Right? Is your boat in heaven? No. And I love all those things. Boats are great. Cabins are dope. Right? But are they going to be in heaven? No. You know what's going to be in heaven? God and what else? Souls. Souls. Souls are in heaven. Not just, not our physical body, but our souls. Everything will pass away. A new heaven, a new earth. Everything passes away except for the soul will remain. That is true riches. When you steward the unrighteous man and the things of this earth, the wealth of this world, God says, I will give you true riches. It will bring a wealth, a harvest of souls. And I go back to this. When you give, heaven is being populated and hell is being plundered. Think about that. I, you might not have realized when you give, you are doing supernatural battle. It is a supernatural thing when we give unrighteous wealth that the enemy wants to use for selfishness, and we say, no, 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 no. What the enemy meant for evil, God is going to use for good, and he's going to take this money that I work hard for, and he's going to build something incredible. He's going to rob hell and populate heaven. I think that should make us feel empowered when we give. Giving should be something we celebrate because we're populating heaven. When you give, people get saved. And again, I go back to, if you're going to keep being stuck on, the church doesn't use it for this, or the church doesn't use it for this, then you shouldn't be here. Because the reality is, if you cannot trust us to steward the money to reach the kingdom, which we have more than proof, you should be terrified of how we're stewarding your soul. But the reality is that we deeply, deeply believe in stewardship. Deeply, deeply believe in reaching people. And we have proven that. Amen? We've proven that in the streets in 100 degrees. We've proven that globally around the world with missions. We've proven that here in this space. We've proven it with you in your life. Many of you are here today or joining us online today because someone at this church told you about Jesus and said, man, you got to make a choice for Jesus Christ in your life, and it transformed you. God takes that unrighteous mammon that we have redeemed by giving the first 10%, and he transforms the world brings in souls. Some of you might say like, man, I don't know if I'm really making a difference. Perfect. Then give. If you're like, I don't know if I'm making a difference in the world, then give. You know who, you know who that goes to? It goes to 27 missionaries around the world that are leading people to Christ. Right? It goes to change lives. It goes to loving the community. Testimony after testimony after testimony of the souls that God is winning because of our faithfulness to walk in principle. What's crazy is God could have said, walk in principle, and that's, that's it. But instead, he says, walk in principle, and there's infinite blessing. The blessing of the kingdom of God. See, the devil wants you wants to distract you with it, but God wants to crush the enemy and populate heaven. God wants to use it as spiritual warfare. The enemy's like, this is a distraction. They will bow at mammon, and God says, no, they won't. Mammon will bow, and I will use this wealth to grow the kingdom of God. But it's important. We got to give that first 10%. This is why God gave us the principle of tithing. I think, you know, about my daughter in the day, I held her in this tiny loaf of bread. She was so cute. Now she's like six going on 16. And I was thinking the other day, you know, like every wedding I do, I'm like, man, someday my daughter is gonna get married. Like, not on my watch, right? <laughs> people, people are like, I'm gonna meet her boyfriend at the door. It's like, oh no, I'm teaching her to shoot. She's gonna meet her boyfriend at the door with a gun, right? <laughs> But all kidding aside, you know, she likes him, I'll make an exception, right? If he's like a good guy and he serves, you know. But there's something that I, I've decided I will not make an exception for when it comes to my daughter. I will not make an exception. As much as it is up to me, I will never give my blessing uh, for, for this one thing. I, I will not make an exception. And that's if the person who wants to be with my daughter does not tithe. You're like, really? That seems extreme. Yeah, man, I don't care. They can be an Oregon Ducks fan, and they can hate tacos, and I can think both of those things are crazy, and I don't know why you would think that, but the reality is there's, I will not make an exception for tithing. As a pastor of this church, I'm going to guarantee you, if you're raising up young men that you think are going to date my daughter, I'm going to check and see if they're tithing, because I want to see if they live in principle with God. I want to see, 
I want to see if they live in principle with God or they're robbing God. Why would I give my daughter to a thief? Why would I give, if he can't even handle money, why would I think he could handle the most precious thing in my life? If he can't handle the unrighteous stuff, why would I think he could handle this beautiful and perfect and pure daughter of mine? Let me, let me say it a different way to bring it home today. Why would I as a father give someone true riches when they cannot be trusted with unrighteous mammon? Why would the heavenly father bless me when I don't steward what I already have? When I steward it, not only do I receive the blessing of walking in principle, but I'm part of the purpose of populating heaven. When I break the spirit of mammon in my life, the spirit that tries to hold me to wealth, the spirit that tries to hold me to the fear of finances, it's more than just getting out of a spirit that's contrary to God. It's releasing me into the mission of plundering hell to populate heaven. And what the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good and the good of his kingdom, but I gotta come into alignment with him first. I wanna invite you, would you stand with me today? I wanna pray for you. And then I'm gonna give a moment to respond and here's a little bit how the response is gonna look. I'm gonna pray for you just very briefly an invitation prayer in just a moment. And then I'm gonna open the altar as a way for you to come and respond to what the Holy Spirit is moving upon your heart and on your life. And that might be associated or non-associated even with this sermon. But if you're believing God for something, this is an important space to step out in obedience and make a commitment to the Lord. And our band's going to play and people will be up here praying for you, but this is a you and God moment. But my prayer today is that God would bring us into principle, that we'd have a mindset shift, that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that we are not a slave to mammon, but we are walking in the freedom of Christ, that we are plundering hell and populating heaven, that we would not leave even with an iota of uncertainty when it comes to the status of our heart. And so in just a moment, I'm going to open the altar to give you a chance to respond, to respond physically to what God is doing spiritually, to have a moment you and Him to bring your whole heart today to receive prayer. Maybe it's for a couple things. There's a couple things I'm going to pray for you today. One, maybe you're saying, you know, wealth really has a hold on my heart. I've been serving mammon. I've been serving wealth, and I want freedom today. I want freedom from that hold on my life. Some of you, maybe today, we've been praying every week for those of you who need a financial miracle. You need God to move. You don't want to be a slave to wealth. You don't want to be a slave to riches, but you're living with a very real moment of uncertainty when it comes to your finances, and you want to lean on God in this moment. Or maybe your family is living in a state of uncertainty financially, and you want to come before, and you want to lay it before the feet of Jesus today. Maybe today you need the chains of fear broken over your life and family when it comes to finances. Maybe you grew up, every eye closed, every head bowed today. I just want you to hear this this morning. Maybe you grew up with huge fears about money because of how your family lived. And so when it comes to finances, it's not that you don't want to give it to God. There's just a very real fear there. And can I tell you where the spirit of the Lord is? There is freedom that perfect love casts out fear. And if you're saying, you know what? I don't want to live with that fear. I want to release that. I want peace. I want joy. I want hope. I'm going to invite you up in just a moment as well. So whatever that is, maybe you just need God to move in your life. And you're saying, I need to take a step. This is a morning and this is a church of taking a step. So I'm going to invite you today, in just a moment, I pray, Jesus, would you stir our hearts that we might respond to you today, that we might take a step and lay it at your feet. Whether wealth has had a hold on our heart, whether we need a financial miracle, we need God to move spiritually in our lives or the lives of those around us. Or maybe we just see the chains of fear broken over our life and over our family when it comes to finances. We grew up with a fear about money or we've lived in moments of fear and we've said never again, but we've realized that there's a fear. We're not coming from a place of peace. Whatever it is, whatever way we're believing God for you to move in our life, Jesus, we come before you and we pray, would you move in Jesus' name? I'm just going to open the altar right now. If you'd like to respond, just go ahead and come forward and find a space, whether you want to worship, stand, or kneel. I just invite you to come and respond today as our band leads.